Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 31st, 2015. My name is Leigh, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, May 29th, is 7676. That's 7676. This morning, A Vision for You presents Repairing the Damage. Reflections and experience on step nine may direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Steps one through three put us in the right relationship with our higher power, a relationship where now our higher power, not us, is to be the director. Steps four through seven put us in the right relationship with ourselves, removing those defects which block the access to our higher power. Now, are we willing to go to any lengths for our freedom from compulsive overeating? Are we willing to go to any lengths from our unmanageability, our spiritual malady? Are we willing to have a spiritual awakening to be completely transformed? How about to become a person we've never experienced, to live a life that's never been available to us, to be comfortable within our own skin? Are we willing to have our life really flourish and be filled with meaning? If we answered yes to the above questions, we're ready for steps eight and nine, both of which give us an opportunity to live in harmony with our fellow human beings. We go to those we've harmed, acknowledge the harm specifically, taking responsibility for our part and cleaning up the past, repairing the damage. This morning we have four recovered compulsive overeaters who will share their experience with the Step 9 process. Our panelists include Esther C. from Canada, Renata G. from New York, Duell also resides in New York, and Terry H. from Maine. So let's get started with our first panelist, Esther C. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows on A Vision for You. My name is Esther C. I'm from Canada, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So today we're going to be talking about um, Step 9, Making Amends. But before I begin, I just want to orient us as to where we are in the step process. Where do the amends come in? So I'll back up a bit and just share a little bit of history. I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous basically at the end of my rope. Uh, I was dying and desperate. So another compulsive overeater, someone in what the big book says, in whom the problem has been solved, opened up her big book with me, and we read together. And in step one, I identified my problem. And my problem was that I was a compulsive reader. And step two, I came to another conclusion, and that was that a higher power could solve my problem. In step three, I made a decision to live according to the will of that higher power. Otherwise, how could I expect that power to solve my problem? Now I was in a right relationship with my higher power. He, he was in charge and not me. And this was followed by steps four, five, and six, and seven, where I identified the character defects that blocked me from this power. 
and I adopted a new way of thinking, you know, to shrink them one day at a time. So now that I'm in a right relationship with myself, um, steps eight and nine allow me the possibility to live in harmony with others. So I have the opportunity to set right with other people all the harms that I've done, so now I could truly live the abstinent, serene, and, and free life, which is really what being recovered is all about. So back to step eight, with, with the guidance of my sponsor and also other recovered compulsive eaters that I would speak to, I decided who needs amends and how and when I was going was to do them. The big book spends a lot of pages. They do a really good job of explaining how to go about making these amends. So, so, so we're not going to create new harms in the process. And if you notice, there are about eight pages, approximately eight pages devoted to advising us how to handle the nine-step amend. So it was clear to me that this is an important step and also one that could be easily misunderstood and mishandled. Um, in the AA 12 and 12, the step nine essay opens up with the line, good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage and prudence. These are the qualities we need when we take step nine. And the big book as well reminds us that we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile and scraping. So that's a tall order. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing that by the time I got to step nine, I I started to get my brains back when I, you know, so so that I was able to approach step nine without stepping on all over people all over again. And I had different types of experiences with the men. Some of them were easy and more straightforward. Other them were more difficult and interesting. Um, but there's one... I'm going to be talking about one particular type of amends um, in my experience. Um, when I make amends, when I'm cleaning up my past, I face every part of my life where, where I have hurt others. So once I clean that up, I don't have to have any more regrets about my past behavior. I did my part. I cleaned up what I had to clean up. And this allows me to live comfortably without the guilt about what I've done and without the worry of, well, what if someone's going to find out what I once did? And this is really important because when I live comfortably and serenely, I don't have that unsettled feeling inside of me. I don't know, maybe you've had that feeling inside before, like the one that only a container of ice cream could wash away. So this is um, this is what the, the nine-step amends did for me. Now, obviously, the more damage that I did or the closer someone was to me, the more difficult the, the amends was, right, because... I did more damage to those closest to me. Uh, so I did some of the easier ones first. Uh, one of my problems, of course, was I had a big mouth, and I used to shoot it off on many occasions. So whenever I remembered specific things I'd said to others, I called them up, or I, when I could, I spoke to them in person if they lived nearby, and I cleaned that up. Uh, I had the type of amends where I had to pay back um, employers for using freely using their supplies for my personal use or using work time for personal matters. That those were also, I would say, easy amends. And one of the reasons that they were easier is because oftentimes the harm wasn't that severe or the other party didn't even remember the incident I was referring to. And a lot of the amends that I made, people react, um, you know, they reacted very generously. They thought, wow, that's so special, or they were very impressed. So, so in a way, the, the easy amends were good prep for the difficult ones ahead. Today, I wanted to talk about one of the particular type of harm and amends that was played a big role in my life. As I mentioned earlier, I did a lot of damage with my mouth, a lot of, a lot of gossiping, a lot of nastiness, 
um, sharp retorts or clever one-liners that hurt people. Um, I often was breaking people's confidences, talking about things with others that I had no permission to share. And it's really hard to make amends for that. First of all, I couldn't run around to people saying, you know what I said about you? I mean, that would definitely do more damage. So I didn't know how I was going to be able to repair any of that. Um, remember, we're cautioned in step nine that we're, we're to make amends, except when to do so would injure them or others. So that wasn't possible in many cases. You know, sometimes I was able to approach the person that, not that I spoke about, but that I spoke to, like the listener of the gossip and whatever possible, I tried to fix that up and retract my words, you know, if I could somehow clarify and make things better. And I would always state that the reason I was doing, the the reason I had spoken that way was due to my own self-centeredness. You know, self-centeredness in its various manifestations, that's the reason, you know, I behave like that. Sometimes it's because I wanted to, you know, feel important or I wanted to, show people that I was in the know about, you know, some private information. And, you know, the negative effects of gossip just go on and on and, and, and verbal abuse. How does, how does one go about making amends for that? I felt like every single person I'd ever met probably needed an amends for me. I didn't know how I was going to clean up the past. It felt like I was going to have to chase a million seeds that I had scattered for miles in all directions. Who knows if some of them had already been planted you know, when we're growing weeds. But but I believe, and I was reminded by my sponsor, the words in the big book on page 83. Um, let me open it here. It says there, there may be some wrongs we could never fully write. We don't worry about them if we could honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. So I knew that an idea would come to me and that I would, if I just do, did what I have to do every day then I, and, and was patient, that an, an idea or a way to somehow clean up the past would would, would come to me. So the first thing that um, happened is that I became, a, you know, when I w- was aware of an educational organization, and what it does is it promotes speech, um, you know, kind speech, speech that's free of gossip and other types of insensitivities and bullying. So at first, I figured I would make a donation to support their work, and wouldn't that be a nice way to make amends? And so that I did that. But inside, I still felt that just sending a check in the mail wasn't going to be enough. It wouldn't, wouldn't really reflect the hurt and damage I did to others all those years, with, you know, in the way I spoke to them. You know, writing a letter, which I did write a letter to include with my check, but still, writing a letter and sending off a check didn't seem like enough. So I, I sent it off, and I prayed for guidance in this matter, and, and I also prayed that if there was something else I should be doing that, that my higher power should show me, give me the right thought or action. So, of course, higher power comes through again. The opportunity, Another opportunity came about when this very same organization was trying to promote their ideas, especially about bullying. That became, you know, a hot topic. Um, they produced an educational children's video, and what they were looking for were families all, who had children to host a screening of this video and invite children to come and watch the video and, you know, generate some discussion about that. So I thought, that's great. I jumped at the opportunity, um, and it took a bit, a bit of work on my part because I had to recruit, you know, kids to come. Um, but I felt that was another way that I could continue to clean up the past. And for me, it felt like I was taking things to the next level. And I was grateful, you know, that I was able to do something positive and, you know, not to be hurting people with my words. Um, and, of course, all this was nice and good, these little acts that I did, but... The truth is that even after I recovered and made amends, 
I still kept doing those things, right? Maybe not as often, but I still, I still felt that, that I wasn't using my power of speech properly. I bragged a lot. I still kept sharing information that I was probably not meant to. I still criticized. I may not have criticized someone to their face, but I would you know, be in a group discussion and criticizing other people's ideas. I pontificated. I, I had opinions. I still have opinions about everything in there, and they were usually the opposite of the ones that was shared by the crowd. I'm sure you know that, that type of person, right, the one that always has to have the last word. You know, sometimes even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I'd be regretting them. Be I was regretting, you know, even having spoken. You know, and then I would 10th step and make amends where I could, and I thought, here we go again. I just I just felt that it was, there was too many too many of these um, incidents where I'd say the wrong thing, I'd do the 10th step, I'd make amends, I'd call someone, tell them what happened over and over and over again. And I And that felt to me like, I need to I need to sit down and think about this a little more. So thank God over time, higher power, higher power planted some good ideas in my mind. So for example, for now, uh, you know, I, I felt that if, if certain social situations would breed these type of discussions, I could choose to avoid them for a while. Or another idea that I tried to implement is that when I'd be sitting in a, a group discussion, sort of to be conscious of my tongue and teeth, right? These are two barriers. When I want to speak, open the open the lips, open the teeth. Just sort of being conscious of that process allowed, you know, that rush of ideas in my mind to slow down and hopefully put the brakes on what I was going to say. So that helped put a little bit of a gap between my thinking and speaking. One of the other things I I came up with was that it, in many conversation in any conversation I would have to find an opportunity to say I don't know because I didn't like to say I don't know. I wanted to show that I know, right? Um, so, you know, when people are having a discussion, and the truth is I really don't know, right? So I could just say, I don't know, right? I don't I don't know why those people got divorced. Uh, I don't know why these people spend so much money. I don't know why. I just don't know. And I found that, that, that the truth is I really didn't know, and that sort of brought about a, a certain level of humility that helped me, um, you know, change the way I talked and, uh, and approach conversations with other people. And sometimes I would say to myself, Esther, why don't you just listen for a change, you know, let the conversation be about them. You don't have to you don't have to use conversations or discussions with others, whether it's in a crowd or one on one, to showcase, you know, your wit or charm or abilities. Just let the conversation be about the other person, right? Just be in the habit of um being other centered instead of self centered. So the big book teaches that as we grow spiritually more will be revealed to us and that's how I felt as I made these changes and found different opportunities to clean up. This is what I experienced as time moved along. Another idea that came to me one day was, you know, was pretty recent. This was around the time that this meeting, A Vision for You, was in the Step 9 pages. Not currently what we did a couple of weeks ago, but the previous cycle. Um, you know, the thought occurred to me as, as I was listening to, to the re- reading and the sharing that if a, that if a person could just... Dis- could hurt people and destroy with words, then surely they could build as well, right? So that thought just popped into my head one day as I was listening to the sharing, and I said, well, that that's another way of cleaning up the past with regards to this particular type of harm. I could use words to build. If I have a, a gift, I could use that gift to help people to plant, right? I mean, I'd, I'd already been sponsoring, but I, you know, I wanted to take this to the next level, something that would really, you know, um, change the way that I was living. 
so one of the things I I'm a quick forgetter and I like my mind's always on my favorite topic which is myself so I I needed some cues I needed to establish certain things that would ha- that you know happened with a regular occurrence that would be my reminder to you know to to approach someone and, and to maybe say something to them that would um, would make them feel good or build them up. So the first thing that I don't know why this occurred to me is that when I would get an invitation in the mail for whatever occasion, I'd pick up the phone, call the person, congratulate them or wish them well, or you know if someone's getting married, say oh I you know I met her, she's such a doll of a girl, whatever it was. That was one of my cues, right? So so now I know if I get an invitation in the mail, that's your cue to pick up the phone, call someone, and say how happy you are for them. Um, or if, you know, if I heard news that people, you know, moved into a new house, that's a little harder because I, like, I don't have, like, something tangible that reminds me, but I try to do that as well. The other um, idea that I got from my higher power was, you know, at the, you know, in the in the lunch break room, you know, where, the, where there's the water cooler, you know, that the staff where I work use. Um, it also occurred to me one day, you know what, every time you go to, to fill up, you know, your cup with whatever, you're going to go and um, use an opportunity while you're in that room to, to say something to someone. So I, I don't know why I chose that. It just came to me one day, um, maybe because everyone there is on their break if they're in that room, and it's a more natural setting to talk to people. So every fill up, that's what I do. Again, I, I should be doing this all day. It's just that when I have a specific cue, that that reminds me. And and lo and behold, <laughs> you know, that's the thing about about spiritual work. It's 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 boring. It's not so interesting. It's, it's repetitive, but it's it's really just about those small, seemingly insignificant acts. You know, if they're, they're done over and over and over again, you know, I do them when I feel like it. I do them when I don't feel like it. And then suddenly one day I could look over, over my shoulder and I and I thought, hey, you know, I don't do that anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. I don't interact with her like that anymore. I could use speech to help people. I could use speech to build relationships. I I changed, you know, through this process because I learned to see interactions as opportunities to do ambassador work for my higher power. What do I mean? Um to to spread his message um, in all my relationships and affairs, right? Not to, that 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 interactions with others and discussions with others is the point isn't to be the queen of the show, right? It's a, it's to bring God's light into the world. So I don't know if you remember on TV they used to say, "Do not try this at home." Well, I say when it comes to amends and everything else I mentioned, you should try to do this at home, because another thing that I learned in my amends process is that the family members are people too. And I could be higher powers ambassador at home also, especially at home. And with family, this is very important. There there are many, um, as I um, began to develop, there were many changes that I saw in my own family members' ways that they would speak. Um, they would, Even as they got older, somehow they seemed to imitate um, the language that I use for good or for, for better or for worse. So certainly as I start to evolve, those close to me start to evolve, and it becomes sort of a ripple effect. I'm I'm truly grateful to Higher Power for developing these ideas in my mind and and bring me to where I am today. As as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't think a, a one-time uh, you know donation would have really been enough for the types of harms that I you know spent most of my life doing. Um, on page 83, begin to read 
continue on page 84, that nine-step promises. And I truly feel that they're being fulfilled in my life. It's it's not a checklist that I pulled out after doing nine-step and said, okay, any of this stuff coming true for me? But every time I read the big book, whether it's with a, a sponsee or it's in a big book study such as the one we have here on the phone, every time I get to the promises, I, I think to myself, you know, it's really true. These promises really do come true in new and unexpected ways, in ways I couldn't have imagined. And again, once again, I'm amazed at how it's possible that my whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. And this all happened by following a few simple set of instructions. And this is why I tell people I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you, higher power. I'm grateful to be a compulsive overeater, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater, because I'm living a life today that I could never have imagined before, and I'm living a life today that I probably wouldn't be living had I not been a, a compulsive overeater. So that's a little bit of my experience with step nine. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Esther C. And now I welcome Renata G. to the line. Uh, thank you, Lev. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. And, uh, you know, I would like to start saying that the fact that I'm speaking on this line today is a miracle to me. You know, a miracle because God has restored me to sanity and has given me the privilege of carrying a message of hope. And also because God has removed my paralyzing fear of people. You know, it's it's still uncomfortable at times to speak on the line, but my desire to, to do service, you know, my gratitude is bigger than my fears, and God has done this for me. I want to start with a quick prayer. Um, God, I pray for your will for me and the power to carry it out. Please tell me what you want me to say. Thy will be done. Amen. And just to, you know, qualify a little bit, uh, prior to a way, you know, I've tried everything that was available to me to try to control my disease. You know, like many of us on the line this morning, you know, I've, I've, I've tried many different, you know, diets, the diet clubs, different doctors and nutritionists, you know, uh, psychologists, acupuncture, over-exercising, diet pills restricting, you know, and the list goes on and on and on, you name it, and I've tried it, and, and, you know, nothing worked, you know. All these methods, they they gave me some physical temporary relief, but they were never able to, to change me, to change my mind, you know, to remove my obsession of the mind, my obsession with food and weight, you know, I... I've always had insane behavior with food, you know. I used to eat in secret. I used to hide places to eat. I used, I, I've eaten food out of the garbage. I, I used to finish off people's plates, you know, not just my family, but, you know, at work or in parties, you know, when people were not looking. I've eaten in bathroom stalls. I used to eat in the shower, in the bathtub. Those are my favorite. Um, I used to eat, you know, until I got physically ill, eaten until I had, you know, until I passed out on the couch. I didn't have any clothes, you know, uh, that really fit me well. I didn't buy anything nice because I couldn't find anything that fit. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I would not allow myself to go anywhere nice because I've always felt ashamed of the way I looked. 
I didn't have boyfriends. My best friend was, you know, a binge buddy. I felt like shit all the time, and I felt, like, useless and, you know, defeated. That was a constant in my life, you know. I I was either, you know, my relationships consisted of, you know, either being a doormat for people that couldn't care less for me or being rude and considerate to people that really loved me, you know. And every morning that I woke up, I was disappointed. You know, I really wanted to die because I I used to think that at least if I if I was dead, you know, that would put an end to the mental and the physical torture. So, you know, my top weight was 210 pounds and 5'6", and my weight for the past two and a half years has been around 135, 140 pounds or so. Um, and, you know, I came to a weight about three and a half years ago, you know, exactly, you know, two and a half years ago after a massive binge that, you know, created so much pain in my kidneys that I couldn't sleep during the night, you know, I remember I was awake all night long and I was crying, I was desperate and I kept asking God for help and that's when I finally decided to go into OA. And when I came to OA, you know, it was the first time that I realized that I I really had a serious problem with food. You know, it was beyond the diet. You know, I knew I needed help that I could not stay stopped, but, you know, at the same time, I was nowhere near admitting complete powerlessness and that my life was unmanageable. Um, I started going to meetings, you know, I made friends in the rooms, I used the tools, I had, you know, support of a sponsor that would, you know, allow me to call her every single morning and whine about life for 30 minutes, and, you know, she she would accept a very fluffy, shady food plan for me, and, uh, you know, I started losing some weight, I got praised in the rooms, and, you know, that that made me feel good, and that kept me going for a while, you know, um, I was living on a pink cloud, you know, for a few months, and all those things, you know, that I was making use of, like the tools, the fellowship, you know, all the human aid, you know, like everything else that I had tried in the past, they they worked for a little bit on the physical aspect of my disease. But, you know, they worked until they didn't work anymore. And they never gave me relief from the mental obsession. And so, you know, for me, absence only was not enough to remove the obsession of the mind. You know, abstinence plus the tools plus, you know, the fellowship still was not enough to remove the obsession of the mind. And, uh, you know, my pink cloud eventually went away and I was back where I started, except that now, you know, it was a little bit worse because I wasn't eating myself into oblivion anymore. And so I could really feel my misery now. And uh, I kept white knuckling the food and I did until I couldn't do it anymore, you know. Uh, that mental obsession caught up with me and I started picking up the food again and uh, because I was not working the top step. And, you know, until the day that this disease finally convinced me of the absolute necessity of working these 12 steps exactly as they are laid out in the big book. You know, and uh, so for me, there was no more of the, you know, take what I like and leave the rest. You know, it didn't work. I had to go through the whole process. And, you know, part of that process was step nine, right? After I stayed um, with step one through eight, I got to step nine, which says, 
you know, make direct amends to people wherever possible, except when to do so would, would injure them or others. And, uh, you know, on page 76 of the big book, it says, if we haven't the will to do this, right, to do the amends, we ask until it comes. And so I knew that I could not possibly live in the disease anymore. And I did not want to be the person that I saw in my inventory. So I asked God every day for the willingness to go to any length to, reco- to recover and to, to do the right thing, no matter what the consequences would be. And, uh, you know, I was very scared, very, very scared, but I was willing. You know, I knew my life depended on the completion of the step work, and I, 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 I truly believed that, that I needed to go through all those steps. And uh, I had quite a few amends to make, and the biggest ones were in Brazil. You know, I had some financial amends to make there and some amends to make to my family. And, you know, my sponsor at the time suggested that I talk to my family via Skype or, you know, make some donations. But, you know, God put in my heart that those amends should be made face-to-face. And uh, and I, I was willing to go to any length to have victory over compulsive eating. So, you know, I could see how God really worked and orchestrated everything so you know, it, it would be possible for me to go to Brazil and make those amends face-to-face. Uh, you know, Memorial Day weekend, uh, one year ago, I went to Brazil for three days to make my amends. And, uh, you know, somehow I was able to use miles from a credit card and the flight was free. And so, you know, all of a sudden I had this extra day because it was, you know, a holiday and it was, it was right around the time when I was doing my amends. And... um you know, I had this free round trip to Brazil, like, you know, things that, you know, are unheard of. And that was God working my life, you know, making everything possible. And uh, the first amend that I made in Brazil is the one that I want to focus on today. And it was a financial amend. So about, you know, 16 years ago, I used to work for the city hall where I lived in Brazil. And I worked for the HR department. And, you know, I became in charge of the distribution of, you know, transportation tickets and, you know, to all the employees from the city hall. And, uh, you know, once I assumed the position, I immediately realized that the whole system was a mess and nobody really understood it or wanted anything to do with it. And so, you know, what did I do? I took advantage of that and I started stealing the transportation tickets. You know, uh, in Brazil, it's very common that like you 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 can you can sell transportation tickets anywhere, like on the street. Like people buy, like you pay a dollar for it, you sell it for like ninety cents, and you know. So I started making money off of it, and uh, that went on for for a couple of months. And uh, you know, I started getting sloppy, and my boss found out that I was stealing, and. Uh, as crazy as it, it may sound, you know, until then, it never occurred to me that what I was doing was completely dishonest, that it was harmful to others, that it was inconsiderate, and that I was taking advantage of people that really need, needed the financial help, you know. And, you know, that was the result of me trying to live in self-will, you know. Uh, like, you know, the big book describes that we need to clean up whatever our effort in, to live in self-will has caused. and 
you know, I was so self-centered that those thoughts did, didn't really come to mind, you know. All I thought was that I could benefit from it, and that I was so smart. I thought it was so smart because nobody knew about it, just me. And, you know, and now I had more money, and, you know, I'll tell you that all the money that I made doing that, I spent on bench food and in clothes that never fit me, ever. And, uh you know, of course, I knew stealing was wrong, but somehow in my head, in that case, it was okay to do it. You know, I was always, I was always the exception to the rule. And um, so my boss, you know, he was he was nice about it. You know, he did not tell the whole department about what had happened, and he did not send me to jail for stealing. But you know, he told me to quit immediately. And he he wanted my dad to come in. I used to live with my parents back then. I was like 18, and uh, so he wanted my dad to come in because he wanted to make sure that my family knew what was going on. And uh, and we paid, you know, the city hall some money. And uh, you know, I was I was demoralized. I was so ashamed. I felt so guilty. I I you know I had brought so much shame to my family, and I felt really bad for my poor parents. Because it wasn't, you know, just shame for me, but what I had exposed them to, and um, you know, and, you know, never mind that I had to make amends to my parents for that too later on. But you know, fast forward 15 years, you know, doing the amends and uh, my amends, and um, you know, how could I make amends for that? Because just sending a check to City Hall would not, you know, it, it wouldn't go to the people that really need it, you know, the people that really need help. And uh, my sponsor advised me to pray about it, and I pray about it. And, you know, God revealed to me that I should, you know, when I went to Brazil, buy a considerable amount of money in transportation tickets and distribute them to those that really needed it. And, you know, I told my sponsor about it. She She liked the idea, and that's what I did. You know, I got to Brazil. And, uh, you know, I went to the, you know, the, 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 the bus stop place, whatever, to, to, to buy the tickets. And I found out that the whole transportation system had changed. And you, you're not allowed to just go and buy, you know, the bus tickets like that anymore. So unless I was, you know, subscribed to it in advance, I couldn't do it. And I didn't have the time to do it because I, only, I was only going to be there for three days. And, uh, you know, buses were the only mean of uh, public transportation in my parents' town. And so, you know, I, I found myself, like, lost. You know, I was there. I wanted to make my amends, and now I couldn't. And I saw all those people, like, waiting for buses, and I started thinking, well, maybe I could buy, you know, a couple of people, like, cab rides, or maybe should I give them cash, or what do I do? And, I, you know, so I went into this public restroom, and I started praying, and I asked God for help, and I asked God for direction. And my mom was in the car, like, waiting for me, and she was watching me. And then I just decided to, you know, take a break and go home, and tomorrow we'll try something else. And the minute I, I, I got in my mom's car, she looked at me, and she said, why don't you go tomorrow to the next town and uh, buy train tickets instead? And, you know, right then and there, I knew that that was God talking to me and directing me and, you know, um, you know, giving me the direction that I needed. And so that's what I did. The next day I went to 
to the next town and I bought 300 housing tickets and, uh, you know, I was ready to start making my amends. And then again, you know, God gave me more direction. You know, I, God said to me that I couldn't just go around distributing, you know, the tickets to people uh, like if I was Santa Claus, you know, like how, how great Renata, right, giving us all this free stuff. And so, you know, that I would have to tell every person why I was giving them the tickets. And so I was, I was terrified. I, I remember shaking. I was so nervous. And, you know, I kept praying. And I felt, like, I felt like I was about to jump off a cliff at times. And, you know, I had to put all my trust and reliance on God. And I did. And, you know, I, I did have an honest desire to set right the wrong. And, uh, you know, God did not disappoint me. You know, he showed up and gave me courage and, you know, to do the right thing and keep moving forward no matter what the consequences would be, you know. And so in Brazil, people can be very suspicious because there are all kinds of people trying to run scams on you, like, you know, all over the place. And so I finally, you know, mustered all my courage to approach someone and approach this woman and I started telling her, you know, what I was doing and why I was doing it. And she looked at me like I'm a crazy person. And she literally just turned her back and walked away. And then again, I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And what did I do? I prayed. You know, I prayed more. And I asked God to show me the people that he would have me approach. And and he did. You know, I the first people I approached was these two teenage girls. And, um, you know, I... I started telling them what I was doing, and they looked at me like I had two heads. And one of them, like, she was horrified. She was, you know, she while I was telling her the story, she, she said, oh, my gosh. And she looked at me with, like, such disbelief, you know. And I felt self-conscious, but, you know, all the while I kept, you know, I kept praying in my mind. And, uh, you know, I kept thinking that that was my ticket to freedom. I had to go through with it no matter what. And, my job was just to clean up my side of the street, you know, and put the outcome in God's hands. And so, you know, on page 78, you know, big book says that we must lose the fear of our creditors, no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. And, you know, facing those people and all the other people that I owe them to was better, you know, it was easier than living in this disease. You know, the thought of the mental and the physical torture, you know, the prison that I've lived in my entire life, it scared me more than making the amends. And so, you know, I approached 10 people in total, and I told each one of them that I had stolen from a job in the past and that it was wrong and it was, just, it was dishonest, and I felt guilty, guilt and shame about it. And, um, you know, with God's help, I would never repeat those behaviors again and never take advantage of people again. And uh, each amend that I made made me feel better and better. And I started to experience the freedom and the closeness to my higher power that I had never experienced before. And, uh, you know, just to wrap up here, you know, fear, guilt, shame, you know, feeling of less than that left me. You know, I, I really felt God's power inside of me. I felt hope and I felt courage. And, uh, you know, now for the first time I, I, I had faith because now I had experienced God. 
You know, I showed willingness and God did for me what I could not do for myself. I could not have done this by myself. And today I know that no matter what happens, God can help me. You know, God is my solution. Like, you know, Abby promised Bill on page 13, you know, after these things were done, right? What things? The steps. I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. And that is true for me, you know, today. This was a a very intense and transformative process and and it continues to be. But, you know, it, it changed my life. It changed me. It was the only thing that ever worked, that ever gave me freedom from the obsession of the mind. And, you know, my life is not perfect, but I am, you know, I can say that I am happy, joyous, and free, like it says on top of page 133, and it's all because of this 12 steps. And step nine was the game changer for me. You know, today, you know, sanity, sense of purpose in life, faith, ability to be loving and tolerant towards others, you know, like all, you know, freedom from all the bondages that used to control my life, especially food. You know, like, I was giving all this gift, you know, and it's all because of this program, all because of the 12 steps. And they all came, you know, this all came through for me, true for me after step nine. And so, you know, I'm just forever grateful for this process. And, you know, I want to thank you, God, for it. Thank you, away, and thank you, Vision, for you. Okay. Thank you very much, Renata G., and we now welcome Do L to the line. Good morning. This is Do L, um, recovered compulsive reader from New York. Thank you very much, Leah, for your service, and thank you for this opportunity. And I'm going to start off by praying to God to uh, help me and direct me with my thinking that I could be helpful to others, and that I could be out of myself, and that I could be useful in whatever I say that it be directed by God's spirit to, um, to help other people. And so, um, my, my story is that, you know, I, I came into OA, I compulsively ate over everything and, um, my emotions, my relationships, my discomfort and my disconnect with God. And, um, you know, I thought primarily it was the food. Um, however, I, I quickly learned that, you know, um, I, I had big problems. You know, uh, my life had become very much unmanageable. And I had to recognize that, you know, that um, I had made a mess of my relationships with people, um, my relationships with God. And so this process has shown me that, you know, that I had to look at those things and I had to see where where I had played a part in it, and um, and that's not where I was, you know, because I, I was all about blaming people. It was everybody else's fault. It was not my fault. I was the victim. Everybody was out to get me, and that's the mentality that I ran around with in all my relationships with people. So when I come to this step nine. I had to learn three things. I had to know three things about step nine that were going to change the way I thought about other people. And the first one is I had to learn that um, I, I can't skip through the steps. I had to go according to um, 
page 83 of the promises. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. And the first thing I had to recognize is that this is a phase of development. You know, and development, it's just like a child, right? A, a child develops in stages. Um, he starts to turn in his crib, he starts to crawl, then he starts to walk, and then eventually he runs. And so, you know, my sponsor assured me that if I would skip through the steps, and uh, I, I would eventually hurt others. And that, that's what I would do. So she also helped me to see that whatever step I was on, I had to stay really focused on that step and that I, I was not to worry about it and jump ahead because I come into program and the first thing is I'm at step one and my mind is already racing about making amends at step nine. I'm at step four and my mind is already racing to get to another step. And so she said, you know, slow the roll, just, just slow down and stay at the step. So, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person, I, I, love, I love to misconstrue things. <laughs> and so I, I went to, uh, to the 12 and 12, and I said, but, you know, the, the, big, the, the 12 and 12 says that at the moment we tell our families that we're really going to try the program, we have begun the process of making amends. And so, you know, one of the things that I had to do, you know, I, it seemed like there, there's a contradiction there, right? It, it seems like the 12 and 12 is saying, you know, the moment you come into program, you can make amends. And, and you're right, you know, it does say that. It says you can make amends. You will begin to make amends. However, there's a difference between developing through the process and doing it the right way versus jumping ahead. And I just want to read that paragraph on um, page 83 of the 12 and 12. It says, most of us begin making certain kinds of direct amends from, from the day we join Alcoholics Anonymous. The moment we tell our families that we're really going to try to the program, the process has begun. In this area, there are seldom any questions of timing or caution. We want to come in the door shouting the good news after coming from our first meeting, or perhaps after we finish reading the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, we usually want to, to sit down with some member of the family and really admit the damage we have done by our drinking. <coughs> Excuse me. Almost always we want to go further and admit any defects that we have had to live with. This very different occasion and in sharp contrast with those hang hangover mornings when we alternated between reliving, re, reviling ourselves and blaming the family and everyone else for our troubles. At, at this first sitting, it is necessary only that we make a general mission of our defects. So right there, you know, she says, yeah, you make a general mission, but that doesn't mean you're making the amends that, that the step work is calling you to do. It says, it may be unwise at this stage to rehash certain harrowing ep episodes. Um, good judgment would suggest that we ought to take our time. While we may be quite willing to reveal the very worst, we must be sure to remember that we cannot buy our own peace of mind at the expense of others. And that's what I do. When I come into program and I want to make an amends to someone, I want to vomit all over that person. And, and get peace of mind at the expense of others. 
And that's in very contrast, very different from doing a step nine. <clears throat> because a step nine is going to show me that I have a part to play in it. It's going to show me my character defects. It's going to show me that I have to develop this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, you know, um, it's just like, you know, driving a car, right? I can, I can drive a car any time. However, the difference is between step nine and doing it my own way is that if I don't study the rules of the road before I get into that car and I don't know how to drive that car properly, the chances are 99% of my chances that I'm going to get into an accident. And so if I don't go through this development, if I don't lead up to the steps and go through the proper channels, my chances are is that I'm going to crash with people. I'm going to make a mess of my relationships further with people. So the first thing that my, my sponsor said is go through the prerequisites. You know, I just recently went to class in, um, and I had this, uh, this, this Spanish class that I went to. And I got there, and I tell you, I didn't know one thing that they were talking about. And, and I couldn't understand how everybody else in class knew what they were doing, and I could not keep up with the class. And the professor said to me, did you meet the requirements or the prerequisites before getting into this class? And I realized there was a step that I skipped. There was a class that I had to take prior to getting into that class. And that's what I had to do. I had to go back, go through the prerequisites of getting that class, and then being able to follow along. And that's, that's what step nine is. You know, we have to go through the prerequisites to get to this, um, this, this step to make the proper amends and be effective with our amends. If not, they're not going to be effective and we're, we're going to continue to crash with people. So that was the first thing I had to learn. The second thing I had to learn is recognize that I had been like what the big book says on page 82, that I had been a tornado roaring through the lives of others. And that had broken relationships that I had, um, you know, and also on, on page 52, it, said, it describes me perfectly. It says, you know, I had human problems. I didn't have a readiness to change. Um, I, I had personal relationships that were out of control, emotional. Um, I couldn't control my emotional nature. I was uh, prey to misery and depression. I, I was making living and, and the feeling of use. I, I was... Um, I couldn't make a living, and, and the feeling of use, uselessness and full of fear was there. I was unhappy, and I couldn't be of real help to others. And it also, on page 62, it also describes me because I'm constantly blaming other people. I'm putting myself in a place to be hurt, but yet I'm, I'm the alcoholic or the compulsive overeater, which is an extreme example of self-will run riot, even though I don't, I don't think so. And that, that's how I led my life, you know, thinking that I was in the problem, everybody else was. So the second step is recognizing that I am the problem <clears throat> and that I have to look at my part in these things. And the third thing is on page 77, it talks about why we're making these amends. And on the top of that page, it says, we are doing these amends because we want to be of real purpose and fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. 
And that's what I had to learn. I had to learn that I had to be of maximum service to others. So could I do this on my own? Could I just, you know, pick up this book and just do this on my own? No, it said that I had to become in alignment with God. And so uh, one of the things I, I learned during this step is two prayers that I was going to be doing. It says on page 79, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And that's, that's what I had to do. I had to pray to God. I had to connect with God and continue through this process. And then on page 83, I would continue to um, go into meditation to connect with my creator, to sh show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. So it wasn't only just connecting with God, but I had to do something about it. And that meant that I had to practice the principles in all my affairs. And, um, you know, there are eight pages that covered step nine. So my sponsor gave me uh, a quick overview of, of how to go through step nine. And she gave me five points that I'm, I'm going to share with you. And, of course, um, this can be found. I can, I can give the five points. We don't have the time to go through the five points um, as far as um, looking at where they're, they're located. But if anybody um, likes that, I can, I can give that at a, at a different time. Um, but the first one was um, I had to look at, in, in these eight pages, one, the specific statement of offending behavior. You know, I was going to do a specific statement of offending behavior. In other words, I had to um, see where I had played a part, and I was going to tell the person exactly what I did wrong. You know, I had to tell them exactly what I did wrong. Um, and in the case of my son, I had to tell him, you know, I, I, I'm I, I coming to you to make an amends because I never showed up in your life. I abandoned you. I did all these things to you, and um, I'm making that specific amends. You know, the specific amends is that I abandoned you, and I, I did not care for you, and I withheld affections from you. So that was my specific offending, offending uh, thing. Then it says, the second point is an acknowledgement that it was harmful. So it's not just, it's just not um, okay just to say, you know, uh, I, I hurt you, you know, and, and, and leave it at that. I have to say I'm sorry for that. Now, some people may say, well, that's not what the big book says. The big book says that, you know, um, sorry does not fit the bill. <laughs> and, yes, the, the big book does say that, um, you can't just say, you know, I'm sorry, and and uh, remorseful mumbling on page 83 uh, won't won't sorry won't fit the bill. But it also says in in another part of the big book that we are to say um, we're sorry. On page 81, it says we are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall be not not be repeated. So the difference is is my attitude when I'm saying sorry. You know, am I saying it to acknowledge that I have hurt you? It's not just that I come and push you and say, well, you know what? I pushed you, and that's it. I have to say I'm sorry. I have to acknowledge that I hurt that person. So that's the second point. The third point is the assumption of responsibility for the behavior and harm I did. So 
I have to assume the responsibility. And in the big book, it says um, that, you know, uh, page 79, that I have to admit my faults and ask for forgiveness. On page 78, it also says that I need to not look at the other person, but stick to my own, um, stick to my own uh, part in it, right? And on page 77, it also says that we are to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what we should do. His faults are not to be discussed. We stick to our own. And then, and then, and then it gives an example of, you know, about this man who um, is calling upon others to admit his own fault. So here it is. We are taking the responsibility to look at our part. And then on page, um, um, on page 67, it gives me what I'm looking for. What are these responsibilities or these assumptions of, of these behaviors or harm that I have? I've been selfish. I've been dishonest. I've been self-seeking. I've been frightened. And also on, um, on page 69, it also says that I've been inconsiderate. So those are the things that I want to cover in my amends when I'm making an amends. Then the other thing is it's not just saying I'm sorry, acknowledging the harm, but it says that I have to also show that I regret the behavior that I have done. You know, I have to show a remorse for what I have done. And that's found on page 81. 81, um, there's this experience where it says, you know, uh, It says, a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a lawyer and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. And that's giving you an experience about this man that cheated on his wife and whatnot. So it wasn't just a matter of just saying sorry, but it was, it was a remorse. It was, it was feeling, uh, you know, the fact that you're feeling it, you're, you're, you're expressing it, you're... Um, having a conviction in your heart that you feel bad about it. <laughs> and then the last point is making a commitment not to repeat the behavior. And so um, here I had to look at, you know, um, where I do not repeat that behavior, and that's on page 81. It says, so we're sorry uh, for what we have done. God willing, we shall not repeat that behavior. So I had to look at, you know, not repeating the behavior. And going back to my son, you know, my son would come up every day and say, you know, Mom, I hate you. I wish you were dead. I, I don't like you. Um, I wish you were different. And uh, get away from me. And so I had to do what the big book says that, you know, it wasn't a matter of just, you know, doing this. But on page 77, it says, but but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in the demonstration of goodwill than in our talk with spiritual discoveries. And, and that's what I had to do. I had to, I had to demonstrate to my son that I was, I was a changed person. And that, that, would take, that would take time. You know, it wasn't an overnight matter. But the initial start is that when I go through these points, I have to be in my heart of hearts ready and willing to go to any length 
to set right the wrong and look at my part and not look at the other person's part. And so when I did that, I, I, um, I, I went up to him, and, and I made the mistakes a couple of times to go up to him without being ready to, to do the amends, and he, he thought I was a joke. But when I did it the right way, a year later, he came up to me and said, Mom, you know, if I had to pick the mom that you used to be for the mom that you are today, I picked the mom that you are today. And that's how I knew that I had properly done my amends because there was a change. See, this amends caused not only for a commitment not to repeat the behavior, but it's a commitment to change, to do something about it, to demonstrate that you are a changed person. And so going through this process for me meant that I was going to change, that my thinking, my behavior, my actions, everything about me was going to change. And I thank God that today I am that changed person because every relationship that I go through, and I go through this process, and it's a constant process, not something that I do once and, and I leave it alone. I have to constantly practice this every day. And when I practice this every day, I have what the promises talks about, that freedom, that freedom of, of having good relationships, not being a manipulator, not being someone that's condescending, not being someone, but somebody that's helpful and useful in life and be of service to others. And that's where God has brought me today. And I'm so grateful that, um, that that's, you know, what I've gone through. I've given you a, a small overview of what that looks like in the process. And I hope that I've been helpful today. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Du. Thank you. Terry H. is our fourth panelist this morning. Good morning. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And I'm so grateful to be sharing my nine-step experience with you this morning. And um, I have so many amends that uh, I would love to share with you this morning, but um, I'm going to just share some of my favorites. So um, so just a little bit about me. You know, it took me a long time to get, get here, um, you know, over 20 years. And you know, I, I hit a bottom, and, you know, I, I, have, I haven't had to look back ever since. And so when I came into, you know, the process the last time that, I, you know, I hit the bottom and, you know, I was on my way to recovery, you know, um, you know, I jumped right into, you know, the book and, you know, my journey began. And, um, you know, I, I'd just like to kind of share with you the first first nine steps. And, you know, it's actually... The 12 steps, you know, in, in simple language, but I, I'd like to just share the first nine, you know, because that's what we're talking about today. So step one for me was, you know, the physical allergy and the mental obsession will kill me if I'm the real compulsive overeater. Um, step two was there's a power that wants me to live. And step three, you know, the question was, do I want to live or die? And if I want to die, you know, I stop here and I continue to do it my way. And if I want to live, you know, I, I take this new direction and um, get pointed in a new way. And when I got to step three, you know, my guide at the time, when we when we went through the book, you know, on page 58, where it talks about, um, uh, it says, uh, um, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. She had me initial and, and date that. Um, when I came to that step, and I had no idea by doing this what would be in store for me. Um, 
you know, along my journey. And today I, I do the same thing for sponsees. So, um, and I share that because I, I just want to tie it into my story. Um, so step four for me was, you know, to write how I got to where I'm at today. Um, step five was to tell somebody all about me and let God listen. Step six was, you know, want to change. Step seven was to ask a power greater, greater than myself to help me change. And step eight was to write down, you know, who I hurt. And now we're at step nine, which was to fix what I can without hurting anyone else. So here we are at step nine. May direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And um, it was pointed out to me when I got to the step that it says um, that we make direct amends to such people wherever possible, it, that it didn't say whenever possible. Because if I if that had said whenever possible, it would have been done on my own terms. So um, it was pointed out to me that it's on God's time with the step. Um, so to move forward, um, uh, I was directed there was um, four types of amends that I would be looking at, and those four, four amends would be direct amends, which would be anything to do with um, financial or face-to-face. Um, the second was um, living amends, which um, you may not be able to find that person or you know continue to live the amends after the amends is made. Um, the third amends was what was called amends in kind, which were um, to do something in place of that amends um, or um, instead of which would cause more harm to do it face-to-face. And the fourth one was um, amends to those who could not be seen, meaning through um, a graveyard or a letter form. Um, So when I got to this step, you know, um, I was directed to make out um, my cards um, to have three by five cards and to um, write down each, to go through my fourth step and anything that was not on my fourth step and to take the names from the list and write each of them on separate um, cards. That would include their names, their addresses, their phone numbers uh, on each amends. And um, I would have the word find up at the top if I could not find that person to locate them. and. At the bottom of that card, I would write the exact nature of the wrong that I was aware of in my four-step inventory um, on that fourth column in the resentment. And if I wasn't clear on the harms, that I would write ask, A-S-K, um, and, you know, talk to my, my guide with it um, if I was not sure. And then it was to take each each men's card um, one at a time into meditation and um uh, and when when all the cards were completed, you know, I was going going to review them with my step guide, and um, ask myself, is this really a harm, and are there any others involved who may who may get hurt that I should be aware of? So um, we went through the cards, and um, I had a good amount of stack, I have to say, because you know I, I created a lot of harm through the years of um, my my behaviors and. You know, we then sat down and, you know, um, you know, I was directed to how I was going to make the approach to each, per- each person. And, um, you know, I would say to them, you know, uh, I would first, you know, um, make the appointment if, if I could not, you know, get a hold of them, uh, you know, immediately. I would try to find them by phone and um, I would make the appointment. 
And then if they agreed to meet me, I, I would thank them for their time, for talking with me, and, and then I would say, you know, this is why I'm here. So it's actually seven points. So I would say, this is why I'm here. You know, I'm here to make an amends for the harm I caused you in the past. Um, uh, uh, and then I would say, is there any other harms that I'm not aware of that you need to tell me about? Um, and then I would keep quiet and listen um, because this was their time. It was no longer about me. Um, and then I would ask, you know, do you need to tell me how any of this has hurt you? Um, and then I would keep quiet again and listen. And, and then the, the, the next three would be, you know, is there anything that I, ha- that I can do to make this, right, this wrong right? And, um, you know, how can I set this right? And they would, um, they would tell me. And then after they would tell me, I would thank them for their time. And then I would go out and start living it living that amends and asking God to take me to my next amends. Um, so I had a lot of amends um, to make. and um, there are, A lot of them were quite overwhelming because, I, again, I, I, you know, I just thank, thank God for the help of a guide. But, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of creditors, um, a lot of financial, financial amends. And I was to go to face-to-face wherever possible. And the ones that I couldn't do with money in hand, you know, I was to call and make payment arrangements. Um, so I'd like to, you know, um, you know, when I, when I called them or when I made the face-to-face approach, you know, I would say to them, you know, I'd like to make an amends for my past behavior. You know, I was wrong in not connecting um, with you sooner. I was irresponsible with not making payments on time. I was slow to pay for, you know, um, for also being rude on the phone, hanging up when you were just doing your job. I regret my behavior and would like to right this wrongs. Um, so that's how I, um, so I ha- how I approach my creditors. Um, the amends in kind, um, you know, I want to share one of the amends in kind, um, which was um, I worked in a grocery store for a lot of years and, you know, and helped myself to a lot of food that was not purchased. Um, this was one of those times that I could not make a direct amends to my employer because other people were involved. Um, and it would cause more harm to my coworkers that were involved because even though I was willing to go and make direct amends, you know, and take that risk of losing my job, there are other coworkers involved and they could have been pulled into that, um, which which I would have caused more harm. So, so my dad and I, we figured out an amount of money over the time of employment and um, it was a lot of money. Um, I had worked there for 28 years and was into the food for 20 of those years and um, was not eating absolutely, obviously. Um, so the amends in kind looked like um, each week I was to purchase purchase a $50 gift, gift card um, from the store and make an anonymous donation to different homeless shelters and food pantries. And, and the reason anonymously was I was not to take credit for doing wrong. Um, I was not to get a pat on the back for saying, you know, look at me, you know, I'm doing good. So um, it was directed that I make anonymous donations. Um, and this took me some time, but with the willingness, I just kept moving. And I was also directed to do some some community volunteering, which, you know, I gave time on a hotline, giving all kinds of service to those in need, um, you know, with, with shelter, food, support, all addictions. Um, this was really quite humbling for me. You know, I got a new awakening of of uh, being grateful for what I, what I have. Um, uh, but this amends was not finished by any means. You know, um, how is 
you know, because I now had to go directly to my coworkers and make direct amends for this harm, you know, that um, I had done at work. So um, I would ask each coworker, you know, if I could have five to ten minutes of their time to clean up some past behavior. And, um, you know, each one of them agreed. And, you know, I was directed to never go to an amends and make an excuse. Um, so I always started out with a prayer that was given to me, you know, from my guide, um, with each amends, and you know, I'd like to share that with you. It just says, God, with regards to this amends, please remove my fear and give me the strength, courage, and direction to do the right right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And um, so I began, you know, I, I met with each coworker, and um, this was the amends, um, uh, the approach, and this is, you know, what I said, you know, this is the harms I'm clear on. It was wrong of me to encourage you and putting pressure on you each morning when you came into work to eat unpurchased food. Um, it was un- inconsiderate and unthoughtful of me to put you in a position of, of losing your own job. Um, I truly regret my behavior and not being a better role model. Um, and then, you know, I, I asked them, you know, was there any harm that I was not aware of? And a couple of them, you know, their reply was um, they were disappointed in my leadership, um, especially where I had mostly, you know, um, I had the most seniority at my workplace and I took it to an degree of, uh, you know, to a degree of um, sense of entitlement where the rules did not apply for me um, and I involved others. Um, so, you know, when I asked uh, this one particular coworker, you know, how can I, you know, right this wrongs? And she replied, you know, to be more of a team player and to take my job more seriously. Um, another coworker, you know, um, when I asked, you know, was there any harms that I was not aware of, you know, she said that, you know, um, uh, I had done a lot of gossiping about others in, in the department, and um, I caused a lot of uncomfortability among the, among the department. Um, and, you know, I mean, I just have to say, you know, when you make the amends, um, you really get to see the harms that um, you really, the effect that you have on other people. And um, when I asked her, you know, how could I write this wrongs, um, she replied, you know, just to be more positive. And if I didn't have anything good to say about anybody, not to say anything. And um, I will tell you, you know, I could see over and over, you know, how, how, the, how I was that producer of confusion rather than harmony. And the more that I get to see how my actions affected other people, the more, you know, I wanted to change. Um, so uh, the biggest the biggest amends that you know I'd like to share with you I had you know again a lot of financial amends um, and um, my step guide asked me you know what are you willing to give up to have a relationship with God and you know I beginning I really began to get my amends envelopes together because that's what, how I was directed to get some amends envelopes together and start talking money inside little by little for the businesses and creditors I had owed. Um, so, you know, I started making progress and, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of, you know, really eager to meet my step sponsor, you know, the next time, you know, to let her know I was making progress. And she would ask me, you know, how are you doing with your financial amends? And I would say, um, you know, of course, slow but well. And I, you know, I would tell her and, you know, although I showed up with, you know, coffee in one hand, she would point, point me back to page 58, which I shared with you in the beginning where I dated and signed, you know, if you have decided to want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then, you know, um, what are you willing to do to, you know, have to continue with this process? So, 
you know, I gave up buying coffees and continued on bettering the problem with, um, you know, um, not spending the extra money and, and sticking that extra money into my envelopes. And my next visit with her, I showed up with um, no coffee in here, but she quickly pointed out that I had my nails done. And this time, you know, she just gave me that sponsor smile, you know, the sponsor look and said, Terry, you know, remember, you're not giving up your money, you're giving back theirs. And um, I really couldn't argue that point. You know, again, she would say, what are you willing to give up to have a relationship with God? And, you know, off came the nails. So, um, you know, after, after picking up a second job, you know, because, again, you know, what was I willing to do, you know, to continue with this process, you know, I... Uh, you know, I had um, uh, I picked up a second job, and I also picked up a second vehicle for just summer use, right? You know, after all, I got you know a good deal on it, you know, and it was um, you know it would save me on gas. You know, that was my thinking. And I started using this vehicle a lot, even to meet her. And, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you what happened next. Um, yes, <laughs> goodbye. And it was fun for a while, while it lasted. But the sale um, of that, um, you know, of that second vehicle made a bigger financial um, uh, amends, and I could see, you know, I could see clearly, start to see clearly where my selfishness and my self-centeredness had come back into play, and you know, because I, I just figured, you know, if I'm if I'm making more money, then I can spend more money, and that was not the, you know, that was not the gist of this. It was, you know to do the next right thing was to get my amends, my financial amends down. So I started asking my own self, you know, what am I willing to give up for a relationship with God? And was I really making progress? You know, um, each time a bill would be knocked down, I felt the power in the presence of God because on my own, I was going to be, you know, um, thinking about me and, and, and really taking care of my needs. So I could actually see where the presence and power of God um, by doing the next right thing was happening for me. So... Um, after doing some soul searching and feeling like there wasn't any more things I could really get rid of, um, so I thought, um, God gave me this idea to get rid of my, my one bedroom apartment. I lived in this one bedroom apartment for seven years. Um, I was, you know, a single, single female and, um, this meant, you know, I was willing to downsize to a one room and, and, you know, God gave me this idea through meditation that, yeah, Terry, this, there's more that you can, you can do, you know, to really um, kill some of those financial amends. And, and so my thought was, you know, I'll just move in to a one room and maybe find an elderly lady that, you know, that just wants to rent out a room and, and um, this would surely help me um, to make some bigger amends and, you know, of course, my, my step guide was on, on board with me with that. And so I started putting the word out to the, you know, to the recovery community and, you know, outside the community and what I was looking for. And, you know, my plan, you know, my next plan was to, you know, just find one room and um, save some money to make these financial amounts. And it was then that, you know, I bumped into a long time 12-step recovery friend of 17 years and, and, you know, I explained and asked him to keep his ears open and, you know, if he if he knew of anybody that was, you know, looking, you know, to just maybe rent a one-bedroom because he had worked in the community and um, had a lot of contacts. Um, so uh, just a month um, went by with no luck, you know, still in my one-bedroom apartment. Um, my long my long time friend of seventeen years contacted me and let me know that he had a room available um that the last of his four children was off to college and 
you know, I know what I'm thinking and maybe know what you're thinking because this was definitely not my plan and um, I had had immediate growing list of um, cons going on in my head, like, you know, I, saying to myself, really, God, like, this is not my plan. Um, and I will tell you, you know, fear gripped a hole in me surrounding the fact of living with a male after being on my own for in the last five years. Um, and, um, you know, finally, after coming in to a land from, uh, for coming into a landing from my sponsor, she would always say that was, you know, her favorite words, you know, Terry, come in for a landing, you know, you just need to come in for a landing, let's get connected. And, you know, with the help of my sponsor, I, I took that leap of faith and went, went ahead with my friend's offer. And less than six months later, my mess of financial amends were, were um, cleaning up tremendously. And more importantly, you know, my relationship with God was becoming even greater. And, and although my plan was to go to any lengths to have a relationship with God, you know, I have to say here this morning that God had a much bigger plan for me um, um, a year and a half later had passed and um, I had a ring on my left hand um, and um, this longtime friend is now my husband and if you could see if you could have seen me um, before this process and how destructive I was in relationships um, um, in, in my sex inventory it was not pretty um, I was always looking for the right person instead of being the right person and um and now, now I'm not just saying, you know, you'll get a husband or a wife or even want a husband or a wife by um, doing this nine step, but um, I just know for me, if I hadn't kept going with my life today, my life today would be so different, um, a thousand times different. And, and for that, I'm so grateful that the immense, you know, um, the immense uh, step nine, the process has been just, um, I can't even put words to it. Um, I was not able to make um, some amends, um, you know, to, I had an ex-husband that was not willing to um, to hear, you know, my amends, and, and you know, I, I have to say, you know, God, know, God knows my heart that, you know, my, my intent was to do the right thing, and I have to be respectful of others, you know, because, you know, when I get to the step, it is no, long, no longer about me. Um, it's about, you know, respecting the others' wishes that if, if they choose not to, you know, hear my amends or accept my amends that, um, you know, I just, I, you know, it says before God's people, we, we, we don't crawl before anyone. And um, so, you know, how, you know, I make that living amends to my, you know, even though I wasn't able to make a, a direct amends to my ex-husband, I make that a direct amends every day to my new husband um, with the spouse prayer and, you know, um, and that, that prayer you know, it's taken from page 82, and it just, you know, it's, God, please show me how to make amends to my my spouse. Help me to keep my spouse's happy, happiness uppermost in my mind as I try with your grace to make this relationship right. And um, I say that, um, you know, every day um, in my morning prayers that I will be a different, um, different woman um, than I was in the past. And, and I just kind of like to close with what one of my my guys gave me this as a saying um, to really take with me every day around the ninth step and it just says watch your thoughts they become your words watch your words they become your actions watch your actions they become your habits watch your habits they become your character watch your character it becomes your destiny so to sum up sum up with step nine um, I'm so grateful that I can look back but I don't have to stare 
because um you know the willingness um to to go to any any lengths to continue this process has really been the, been such a gift for me and I'm grateful to be able to um share some of these events with you today and with that I'll pass thanks for let me share thank you so much Terry H. And thank you to all the panelists this morning, Esther C., Renata G., Duell, and Terry H. Thanks for your generous service, sharing your details of your experience with Step 9 with all of us this morning. Fabulous. Really so helpful, I'm sure, to so many. Contact information regarding our panelists will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. Now we're going to open up the line for questions for our panelists. You can press star 1 to unmute to direct your question to a specific panelist uh, or just the general uh, uh, speakers. And please identify yourself as well. Who is Laura G? Alice M. Jan J. Jan J. Okay. The first person I didn't catch your name. Maura, is that correct? Laura G. Laura G. Okay. Let's go with you, Laura G. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, uh, every um, everybody on the line. Uh, this is Laura G. A compulsive overeater. I have a question about. Um, I could really relate to the one about always uh, making chaos, and then there was the the one about waiting and getting to these steps. And um, I was wondering if you could tell me, like, how do you go? What? How do you get to that? Okay, it, it's like it's got to be uh, the patience thing, I guess. I want to. How do you? Is drawing closer to God the way that you have the patience to stop wanting to advance, if that makes any sense? Would you like any specific panelists to respond? The one that talked about um, always wanting to, um, I can't remember her name. I think she was number three. Number three um, was do. Yeah, just not wanting to uh, <laughs> Good morning. This is new. Um, yes, I can answer that for you. Um, wh- one of the things that my sponsor had recommended when going through the steps is to concentrate on the step that I'm at. So if I start off with step step one, and I am I'm anxious, right? I'm anxious to go to step nine, right? Because I, I feel I'm feeling. What I'm feeling at step one is my powerlessness, my lack of control. And then I'm also feeling, which a lot of people mistake this, um, when they get to step one, they're looking at their unmanageability. And all of a sudden, they realize, oh, my God, my life is a mess. My relationships are a mess. And I need to do something about it. And the best thing you could do is concentrate on that first step. Get that first step down. You have a lot of work to do with step one, you know, and it's coming to that conclusion that you're not in control and that you've made a a mess of your life. And so when you concentrate on that, believe me, you're not going to have time to be thinking about step nine (laughs) until you get there, you know. And, And so 
my sponsor had suggested. She said, if you're not at that step, don't worry about it. You know, it will eventually come. And you know what happened to me? I was so eager to get to step nine, and I didn't realize what, what step nine in, in, entailed. So I, I was like constantly always saying, well, I want to get to step nine. I want to get to step nine. And when I got to step nine, you know, the outcome was I was thinking, you know, I, I got to step nine, and I was thinking, I, I, I hope these people don't show up. I hope that I don't get to see these people. Why? Because now the story changes. Now I've gone through the steps and I see that I have a responsibility to make right the wrong. See, when I'm at step one, I'm not thinking that way. I'm thinking, I just want to vomit all over people. I just want to spew my poison and just leave it there and just feel relief. I, I'm looking for constant relief. And so, you know, part of it is just recognizing the problem recognizing, okay, I'm at step one, let me stick to step one. If I'm at step two, let me, let me develop that relationship with God. If I'm at step three, you know, let me look at where, you know, where I've been trying to play God and where I need to qu quit playing God. If I'm at step four, let me look at my character defects, you know, and, and so on and so on and so on until you get to that step. So if you're doing the step that you're on, you're going to be so concentrating on getting that step down that you won't have time to worry about anything else. I hope that's helpful. It was so helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Laura. Alice M., your turn. Did you call me, Leah? This is Alice M. Yep, your turn. Okay, sorry. This is Alice M., compulsive, recovered compulsive overeating bulimic from Florida. And um, unfortunately, I was only able to hear the last speaker, but man, that was quite a speak, um, quite a share. And um, I do have a question in this, but I just wanted to say one thing that just really touched me, I wrote it down, was that I was always looking for the right person instead of being the right person. And that's a that just really stuck in my head for today. Um, I wanted to ask... Um, Terry, um, uh, did she ever come to some amends where they just made her so anxious and nervous and triggered and fearful that she and her sponsor guide told her, you're not ready and let's pull back on that, um, that's not safe to go to now? Or was she always told, march through that fear, it just doesn't matter, you're willing to go to any length? Um, because I'll share honestly that I'm not willing to go to some of the lengths that Terry went to. In this moment today, I would not be willing to, to move into a, a room, room place. <laughs> um, and that makes me nervous. So I want to know just that thing, if she can tell me. Um, because it seemed like a fair, it's just to me like a fairy tale, a fairy tale story. I mean, I believe it. I totally believe it. But I'm like overwhelmed, oh my God, I wouldn't be willing to do that, so does that mean I'm not willing to recover? Um, if she could just share on that one thing with um, um, pulling back on some amend work and revisiting it later, or did that, was that not an option? Thanks. Um, thanks, Alice, for the question. Um, so to, to just kind of be helpful with that, um, so when I was directed to make, make the amends card out, um, I was directed to, you know, take each men's card into meditation and picture myself going to each person or institution and asking myself, am I willing to do whatever this person asked me to do to set this wrong? 
And um, if, you know, I was willing to make the amends, I would write, you know, the plus in the in the corner. Or if I was unwilling to make the amends, I would write the minus in the, in the um, corner. And if there was a minus, you know, I would continue to pray for the willingness um, to do the next right thing. Um, when I went through my, my amends card, um, there wasn't too many... Um, amends that I was not willing to do. I, I have to say that um, even with my ex-husband, you know, who was I knew was going to be a hard one. But you know, and even with my job, I was willing to go, you know, and lose my job um, if that's what it was. You know, I was I was to let go of the outcome in each one and just trust trust the process. And um, and really, that's that's right. What I did um, is just I kept praying for the willingness and. What happened for me, the ones that I, I did do gave me the power to the ones that I was a little more afraid of. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Alice, for your question. Jan, G, your turn. Hi, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I tuned in late, and I just heard the last share, which really just rocked my world, um, and I'm going to be, you know, listening in as uh, soon as this is over to hear the, the first few. But the one thing that I struggle with, I'm on step 12, but I'm still working step 9, and um, I've been a compulsive eater, you know, for decades, and I have done previously the steps not really through the big book, but the steps, as, you know, my sponsor told me. And I did make a lot of amends, big amends to the people that um, I needed to. Do I need to make, to go back to those people now that I'm doing step, you know, the step work again through a vision for you? Do I need to go back and make those same amends? I was just wondering if anybody could sort of help me with that. All right. Any of the panelists like to respond to Jan's question, please? It's Esther C. Esther, go ahead. Thanks. So, um, Jan, in, in our eighth step, we made a list of those we have harmed and need to make amends to. If, since your previous go with the events process, you haven't created a harm there, um, you know, you've, you made your amends at that time and you have not created any new harms. I don't see why you would go back and, you know, to, to repeat the amends. Now, for I, what I found, because I had the same experience, is that with family members, it's there's always a, something coming up. Um, it's not likely that I would make amends to a child to, to 10 years ago and nothing since then. Um, so for some of them, I found that there were some new harms or, you know, different nuances of the same things that I did, and I needed to make amends again. But, you know, if I paid someone back, I paid someone back. If I apologized for some incident, and, you know, and since then we've been, you know, good friends with somebody, so I, I didn't see a reason to go back. That was my experience. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. Who else has a question this morning for our panelists regarding Step 9? You can press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please.
Hello, this is Diane J. Hi, this Jersey. is Kathy Kay. I hear Diane. I hear Kathy Kay. Anyone else? If it's on your mind, I'm sure it's on the mind of many others. Sue G. Sue G. And who's from Colorado, please? It's Joy. Okay. Thank you. So let's start with Diane, please. Thank you. Um, thank 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 everyone for this year. I really don't have a question, but I just want to say how in awe I am of you, you women, and your um, your strength and your courage that you um, brought forth this information. I'm blown away by it, and I am so grateful to say that I am a compulsive overeater, uh, a recovered compulsive overeater today. And if it wasn't because of people like you or that's willing to share your story, I know that. Um, God, and you are helping me through what I'm going through. So thank you so much for being there. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you, Diane. Kathy Kay, your question, please. Hi, this is Kathy Kay. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And um, thank you, everyone, on on the panel. It was a very, very rich uh, accounting and uh I really learned a lot. My question as a sponsor these days, I find myself sometimes struggling with how to advise somebody uh when they uh for example may want to send a letter to someone who's not local um versus you know, pick up the phone and call them and have a direct conversation. And what I am doing is uh, suggesting that they take it to prayer time and see how they're directed by their higher power. Um, I find myself doing that a lot because it's not really clear to me um, what's the right thing for them to do. And I'm just wondering how you would handle situations like that where there are several options and the individual's not quite sure how to proceed. Would any panelists like to address Kathy Kay's question? This is Stu. Stu, go ahead, please. Thanks. Good morning. Um, That's a really good question, Um, you know, because, uh, you know, one one of the things my sponsor tells me as I'm sponsoring other people is leave the advice out (laughs) Um, and stick to what the big book says. It's very, very clear what what to do. And, you know, if I have to work harder than my sponsee, I'm not being of service to that person or, or, you know, that person is not getting the service that they need. And one of the things, the big book is very, very clear as to what to do. It says that they're supposed to go and pray to God and connect with God and see what God tells them what to do, you know. And it's their connection. So as they're doing this step, they're going to be praying to God. I remember um, when I was going through this uh through the step, I wanted my sponsor to tell me everything. I wanted her to do the work for me. Um, and a lot of times she would say, well, why don't you pray to God 
um, and spend some time with God. Take three days, and, and, and if you don't hear an answer from God in three days, come back to me. And after I would come back after three days to her and say, well, you know, I, I didn't hear anything. I, I don't know what to do because I was still expecting for her to give me the answer. And, and so I didn't want to do the work you know, that was required to do, which was connect to God and see what God is going to have me do. And so when I would come back to her, she would say, pray another week <laughs> until you hear God and, and take a wild guess. Take a wild guess as to what God wants you to do. And I remember getting really tight around that because I didn't want, that wasn't the answer that I was looking for, you know, as far as like connecting. But when I would pray to God, the answer would automatically come. And, and I didn't know how to work that out too well, but I, I went in faith. I took a leap of faith, and I continued to do the work, and I continued to see. And you know what? Eventually, I saw it for myself, what God was trying to tell me, and how to make that amends, and whether I needed to you know, write a letter, or whether I was to go directly to the person, or whatever. Because these steps... There are not eight, eight pages that give you specific directions as what to do. There's no doubt if, if there's any question as to what to do, it's in these pages. And, you know, and it's, it's very, very, um, very specific, you know, when it, when it says go to God, pray about it. Um, there are general practical applications that you can do, you know, and if I can't get in touch with a person, then, yeah, maybe write a letter. If I can't get in touch with that person and I've, I've spent some time doing the work trying to get in touch with that person. And so those are kind of like the directions that I got, and I hope that's helpful. Is that a pass? Thank you, Kathy. Can I answer that too, Matt? Renata, please do so. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, step nine says make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. You know, it doesn't say make direct amends whenever convenient, you know, whenever I want to. And, uh, you know, again, on page 76, it says we would go to any length for victory over, you know, in our case, compulsory reading. And so, you know, I, like Du said, I do believe that each sponsee needs to pray about each amendment because God will reveal to them what would be right to do in each situation. But uh, I think we need to be willing to, to go to any length, no matter what it means. You know, I know I was willing to go to any length, you know, when I was in a disease, you know, distance of people around, difficulties were not barriers for me to get to my food. And so, you know, now just because someone lives in a different town or a different state, if, you know, if it's a big amend, then it would be better to, you know, to be done face-to-face. I do believe that it's worth, you know, a trip to go see someone and make that amend face-to-face and, uh, you know, and not just, like, write letters because that can be just, you know, it can be very easy and very, you know, not a very humbling process. And, 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 you know, for me, at least, I know that, you know, for my biggest amends, like I said, you know, I felt the need to go all the way to Brazil to make my amends. You know, just calling them or sending them a letter or something like that would not have done the job. And, you know, that's 
what God has put in my heart. With that, I say thanks. Thank you again, Kathy Kay, for that question. Sue G., your turn. Hi, everybody. It's Sue G. from the city of sisterly and brotherly love. Feeling a little nervous, but in in recovery in steps 10, 11, and 12, living there, hopefully staying there. Um, my question, um, I think I would like to in particular address it, but it really goes for everybody, um, to our last two um, speakers, uh, Terry and to do, um, and I want to congratulate all of you on sticking to the time limit. And this is where my question comes from, because uh, that's that's a miracle. You did it! Wow. <laughs> I guess it was 20 minutes. At least it sure looked that way for each person. And I wonder if you could address that—the issue of having patience and being patient with sponsees and with reach-out calls, and yet um, having some sense of time limits so that we're not just giving ourselves away, as it cautions us in the big book, to, to not just indiscriminately give ourselves away when someone who might be able to use our services might be waiting. So that's my question. I hope that's clear. Thank you. Do would you like to respond first? And then we'll go to Terry. Yes, um, I'd like to respond, Leah. This is Terry. Um so for me, um Hi. you know, I've been in I've been in recovery for for a while and um I think it I think it all happens with um time, um, you know, with balance and learning from what doesn't work and what does work. Um, you know, for me, I, you know, I have three children, which are adults now, but, um, uh, and, you know, a, a husband now, and I have seven grandbabies. And so, you know, my time is not only in recovery, but it's also outside recovery too. So um, I've had to learn over the years, you know, a good balance um, in my, and for me, I have I have to have an I have an appointment book where I block out different times, and I actually take out days um, that I call them God days. That's just me and God God time. Um, uh, I have uh, you know I I have my evenings free from my family. Um, it, you know I have a kind of a cutoff cutoff time that I I stop taking calls um, because it is all about balance, not only inside recovery but also outside recovery and. Um, and for me, it's it's just taken taken time, and I'm, I have learned a lot from from what what didn't work, and I hope, I hopefully that's helpful. So thanks for your question. Thank you, Terry. Do would you like an opportunity to respond as well? Yes, I'm sorry I was speaking and I didn't realize I was muted. Um, that's a really good question. It depends. I would say it depends if the person's willing to work with you. Um, I would say, you know, yes, have a patience with them, carving out that time. One of the things my sponsor told me is that I need to be spiritually taken care of first. I can't be burnt out, and I can't uh, lack family responsibilities, job, or other responsibilities. This is an abdication, and so I'm giving that extra time out. Um, 
So I have to be conscientious that I have to be in fit spiritual condition first before I can give anything out. That's number one. Number two is I can't be wasting my time with someone that does not want to work with me. That's found on page 90, and that's also found on page um, uh, 96, where it says, do not be discouraged if, if the prospect does not want to work with you. Try to find someone that's desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer. So a couple of things that um, as I'm sponsoring, my sponsor has me look at, uh, she has me look at what is the person's response? You know, is the person about wasting time and um, being about the food and being about relapse? And there's a difference between someone that, that wants the program and someone that doesn't want the program. I had to learn that really quickly because that meant that, you know, the time that I'm spending with that person has to be with a person that really wants this program. Because if not, I'm just going to waste that person's time, I'm going to waste my time, and I'm going to especially waste the time that somebody else that really wants this program needs it and can get it, right? So I have to determine that initially when I'm talking to someone. And the way she, uh, she helped me to um, see that is, is their response. You know, if they're in a conflict with you, and they're um, giving you a hard time, right, uh, about debating whether they want this program or not, that's probably someone that doesn't want the program. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that person. If I have to be in a conflict and in a power struggle, uh, the big book says it very clearly, I cease fighting anything or anyone. That includes the sponsee. Um, so I have to make the time. So the, the couple of things that I would say is you, you need to be a spiritual fit condition. You need to make sure that your priorities are set in place. And number two and number three, you know, look at where the sponsee is. Does this person really want the program? Does this person call you on time? Does this person spend time with you? And if in I deal with also sponsees that have disabilities and and need a little extra time because of their disabilities. Um, so I have to carve out that extra time. Just like my sponsor does it for me, I do it for others. But you know, it's a choice that I'm making. If I can't do that, if I can't be of service that way, then I'm not going to waste that person's time either by telling them that I'm going to do something that I can't. And so I, I hope that answers your question. Thank you. 2G for your question. Joyce C, your turn. Star 1 to unmute, Joyce. Hi, I'm so sorry I was muted. Um, this is Joyce from Colorado, a compulsive reader. Um, thank you, everyone, for your amazing shares. My question goes to Terry H. in Maine. Um, I just was wondering if you wouldn't mind um, repeating the prayer you say every morning to your spouse, and you said you found that on page 82, and also um, the words you were saying that were so beautiful. Um, you said, watch your thoughts, they become your words, and I didn't get the rest. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, okay. So thanks for the thanks for the question. And um, 
So the nice step prayer for my spouse um, was given to me. It's on, it's taken from page 82, and it just says, God, please show me how to make amends to my spouse. Help me to keep my spouse's up, um, my spouse's happy, happiness uppermost in my mind as I try with your grace to make this relationship right. And, um, and um, you know, I, I say that every morning because I want to be, I want to be different and do different as a woman of honor and dignity today. And um, uh, do I do it perfectly? <laughs> Absolutely not. But, um, you know, as my my sponsor says, you know, you learn to do it rough and you learn to do it smooth. And uh, so it's definitely, um, definitely a progress, process and progress. Oh, thank you so much. Do you mind just saying the other part where you said... Uh, my words become my, my thoughts become my words, my words become my actions. Oh, the um, thing that my, my, my guide gave me at the end of, you know, this work was, um, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. This me this uh, meeting is recorded, by the way, so in case uh, anyone wants to catch something again, um, by all means, you'll be able to listen to this recording. And anyone else with questions this morning for our Hi. panelists? Last call for questions. Hi, this Hi, is Francis Jane. Jane in New York. Oh, sorry about that. Jane. Jane. Francis. Francis. Jane. Okay, T. Anyone else other than Francis T. and Jane? Questions for our panelists related to Step 9? Ginny S. Ginny. Okay. Let's begin with Francis T., please. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much. My question is um, probably to Cherry H. because she said those words. However, anyone can answer this question. I'm presently on my um, eighth and ninth step, and I'm considering going back to family members. I've already done these amends before quite a while back. And I am very interested in the statement that says, we do not grovel before anyone. And the reason I ask that is because there's a lot of um, codependent behaviors in my very um, immediate dysfunctional family. And um, I tend to allow myself to be beaten up. So keeping it short and sweet and simple is not always easy. So if anyone has an answer to that, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. I pass. Hello, did you hear me? We did. Oh, Any panelists you. like to respond to Francis' question? Hi, Lynn. Sorry, I got, um, I got uh, bumped off the line. Um, I did not hear the question. I apologize. Okay. Francis, would you like to repeat your question? My pleasure. Thank you. A statement that Terry H. made was, we do not grovel before anyone. 
And though I need to keep humility in the forefront of my mind, I also need to not allow family members, specifically family members, to pick up a bat and beat me over the head with it when I'm making an amend that I'm being sincere with. Thank you. I pass. What does that statement mean to others? Terry H., would you like to respond to that? Uh, sure. So what that statement means to me is that um, I know, like, again, in my heart, you know, I'm there to do the right thing. And, um, you know, if they're, if they're not receptive or, you know, I just kind of have, that's where, you know, God's grace and the humility comes in for me, you know, even though I may not be liking what they're saying to me, you know, um, it's really, you know, what I've learned through this process is that, you know, by allowing that, that person to get free of, of what's on their heart and their mind, you know, um, in the end, I get free because, you know, I've showed up and, um, you know, just I've just shown up and taken that taken that leap of faith that, um, you know, that I will, my heart is in the right place and that I will, I'm going to change from this point on. And, um, and that's been my experience. You know, I've had a lot of amends where, you know, they didn't go so well. Um, and, um, again, it just says before God's people, we don't crawl before anyone. But my only goal is to show up and um, clean up the mess, clean up the wreckage. And um, let go, you know, the best the best thing that was given to me by a guide is to let go of the outcome, um, because it, it, now it's it's between it's between me and God, and you know I make direct amends to have direct relationships, and that's been my experience that when I make those direct amends, I get to have direct relationships because they're not going to watch my they're not going to watch my mouth anymore. They're going to watch my feet, and um, because it's all in my actions. So thanks for letting me share. So hopeful that was helpful. I'd like to answer this that is, too. This is Do. Thank you, uh, Terry. Do please respond. Yes. Yeah, I I love that. Um, uh, we do not become sort of all scraping, and what that means is that I'm not going to beg someone uh, to um, react or or give me a reaction to what I'm saying you know it's like I'm not going to beg them to forgive me or all I'm doing is I'm doing what the big book says I'm going to look at my part of the street I'm going to sweep off the side of my street and I'm not going to look at at trying to get a reaction from them trying to get a result from them trying to get something with them because when I go to make an amends and I go with it in uh, expectations I'm already setting myself up for another resentment. So one of the things is when I'm looking at my amends, I have to be in the right place with my amends, in the right place with God, the right place with myself, and right place with others. And part of it is, you know, I'm going to leave their stuff alone. I'm not looking to get an outcome from them because if I'm looking to get an outcome from them, I'm already being self-seeking. I'm already being selfish. I'm already uh, going to that amends with the wrong attitude, you know, and one of the things my sponsor had um, pointed out in, in doing the step work is that I need to, I need to look at my part. I need to look at, you know, I'm there to impress upon them a demonstration of goodwill. I'm, I'm going there to set right the wrong, 
you know, so it's not about trying to get something out of them. And I know that a lot of times when I went to family or my friends and I was like, well, I have a standing relationship with them. I, I want them to continue to be my friend. I want them to continue to be in my life. And you know what? Some of those people God removed from my life that were longstanding in my life because they did not serve me any longer. And so that's why I had to realize that when I'm cleaning my part, when I'm doing this step work, I have to look at, you know, I'm there for uh, my agenda is to clean up my side of the street, is not to get a result from other people. And if I'm looking for that, I'm going to set myself up. That I pass. Thank you. Thanks very much, Francis. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Jane B., your turn to pose a question. Yes, thank you. This is Jane B. in Tenerife Beach, Florida. Thank you so much, um, all of you. You've really uh, made such an impact on my life today, um, these these uh, wonderful things that you've given me. Um, okay, here's the question. Um, I hope I can formulate it correctly. Uh, it's a little bit in, maybe in reference to what you said um, and just the last person who just shared about uh, a little bit about codependency. I, I do believe that, you know, when you expect something underneath there's a resentment, you know, if there's expectations or premeditated resentment. So we can never expect a, a result. We need to leave the results to God. So regarding a living amends, I, I had made a, a, with a family member a direct amends. So it didn't go my way. So what, right? Like that's life. But um, in the living a- area, living amends department, I'm, Every day is trying to seek to do the next right thing and um, trying to take my 10 step every day. How how um, do we deal with people or things that um, places? Well, mostly people who um, I guess it's my expectations. They don't change at all. In fact, sometimes they don't even get much better. But maybe our attitudes change towards them, and we're able to accept them as. You know, we pray for them. They're sick people. Maybe we do. We look at them as sick people. What do we? What do I do today to get some? I don't mean closure, but um, where do I go with this? Or does I just? Is this just about acceptance that this is the way the relationship is meant to be? I don't know if I made anything clear about that. I think I confused it, but it's really maybe has to do with um, looking in expectations a little bit. Um, is there anything I can do in my living amends to make things better? Thank you, Jane, for the question. Any of our panelists like to respond? Uh, Renata? Please, go ahead, Renata. Thank you. Thanks, Jane, for your question. Um, you know, what came to me was that you know, this whole process is supposed to change me, to transform my my thinking, you know, to change my outlook upon life and uh, not other people. And, you know, I know that after going through the steps, I'm able to have a little bit more, you know, acceptance and tolerance and, and love for others. And... Uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there that could benefit from a 12-step program, 
but you know, of course, not everyone goes to 12-step programs. And so even if people don't change, you know, this program, my program, my this, the steps help me, you know, have a better um, tolerance, you know, more acceptance and, you know, for other people, uh, however they, they are, you know, and it's to have acceptance doesn't mean that I'm saying it's right, you know, or it's wrong, but it's, you know, just to accept every person on this planet as they are, you know, like it says in acceptance, you know, we're all children of God, you know, we all have a right to be here. And so, you know, um, there's something that someone shared on the line before, and I really like it, that, you know, whenever I I find myself judging or criticizing someone, like if I ask myself, you know, have I ever done that before? You know, and the answer is often yes, you know, and then I can have a little bit more compassion and go into gratitude that, you know, I'm not in that place anymore. And today God has brought to, to my mind more awareness of behaviors that needed to change. And, you know, by the work of the steps, they, they are changing on a daily basis. And uh, that's what comes to mind for me. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. Any other panelists like to respond? This is Stu. Go ahead. This is Esther. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do and then Esther, please. I, I love that question because, you know, a, a lot of times we come into program and we're very codependent and we are like how we eat. You know, I'm either going to binge on the people that uh, are around me. I'm, I'm going to be anorexic towards them. I'm going to stay away from them or I'm going to be a bulimic. I'm going to vomit all over them. And, you know, one of the things that the big book um, talks about on page 98, it says, the minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. And it says he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. And it says nonsense, for some of us have taking very hard knocks to learn this truth, job or no job, wife or no wife, family member or no family member, we simply do not stop drinking. So as long as we place dependence upon other people ahead upon dependence upon God. So burn into the idea, into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. And so when I'm dealing with family members and they're not responding to me or they're not, um, I'm not getting the reaction that I want from them, I, I got to understand that I have a soul sickness inside. And if I'm not constantly looking at my soul sickness, which is a disconnect with God, you know, then my perception gets automatically screwed up because just because I'm recovered, does not mean that, that, you know, the mental obsession cannot manifest again. And it manifests in many, many different ways. So part of, uh, you know, extinguishing that mental obsession or bringing it into the subconscious is not to give it oxygen. It's not to give it the flames that it needs to breathe and manifest in my life and in my relationships. And that's why we do a step nine, right? Because 
We're trying to clean up that stuff, that wreckage, that, that, that past. And if I'm looking for expectations and I'm looking for things that I can get out of my family and, 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 and they should behave a certain way and they should be a certain way, can't you see that I'm good now? Can't you see that I'm doing the right thing now? You know, and, and so why can't they change? Well, it's not about them changing. It's about me changing. It's about my reaction to life. And as long as I keep going back to that dry well, you know, which is I'm expecting love. I'm expecting something from certain people. Um, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to go back to the food. And that's what this says. You know, I need to trust God. Let, let God fill my hope. Let God fill my emotions. And, and it's a process. You know, it's not easy, but it's doable. And God will see you through. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Go through the steps. Um, and pray that God relieves you from, from being codependent with people. With that, I pass. Thank you. Esther, would you like to respond? This is Esther C. Um, it's an excellent question. I, you know, as time went on for me, I, I started to look at relationships, not as what can I get out of it, what can I get out of these relationships, but as I'm here like the big book teaches to be a maximum use use what is I don't remember the words usefulness to others. So each situation is different and will look different, right? Depending if it's a spouse or a child or a friend or a neighbor. When I approach relationships in that way, then the of course the expectations that they behave a certain way are gone, and actually what they did didn't even matter because I wasn't here to get anyone else to change, but what I was here was to see how I could bring the the light of my higher power to to this relationship. So it certainly removed, you know, many of those expectations. But having said that, just because I'm here to, you know, be others-centered and God-centered, it doesn't didn't necessarily mean that um, in all situations I was to, you know, Give, 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 and they were to take, take, take. I mean, giving could take different, can take on different forms. I mean, you know, for example, you know, with a child, we still have to say no. We still have, you know, restrain them in, in a number of areas or, or whatever it is. And it didn't always mean that I had to um, put up with inappropriate behavior um, on a long-term basis. If I, if I, if, if you know, my, you know, my meditation would bring me to the idea that that would be harmful to me or to other people that I care about. I've I've had uh, company or you know family friends who 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 I felt proposed um, you know were, were were not safe around my children. So again, being of max maximum usefulness to others meant you know that I had to protect protect my children and keep that person at arm's length. Um, but that's um, that's something that developed over time. You know, this idea that occurred to me that I'm not here to get anything. I'm not here to um, you know reap the rewards of you know my transformation. Although that that ends up happening, I, the, I found the most peace when I when I saw myself as here to do God's will. Um, and of course, that peace meant that I wasn't going to be wanting to eat or eating. Um, and that's a different. It's a lot different than um, what I what I had at the very beginning, which is, hey, I, I I've got it now. What about you guys? <laughs> you know, when are you guys gonna you know get it like I got it? I I started to see that perhaps uh, my higher power had put these people in my life because there were certain muscles I need to flex. 
so maybe I need to flex my acceptance muscles. So, you know, I would have someone in the family who, who repeatedly would, you know, need guidance. And maybe I need to flex a patient's muscle and develop that muscle. So God would put those kind of people in my life. Um, so that's how I see that today. And that certainly um, removed a, a lot of resentments because, again, I didn't have any, you know, expectations. And and without even having that intention in the first place, the, you know, the it brought a lot of happiness to, to my life and, and, and peace in those relationships as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Esther. Thank you. Question. And now we'll go to our final question from Ginny, please. Yes, um, this is Ginny S. And my, maybe someone else is thinking this, so I'll go ahead and ask it. Um, this question is for the last panelist who spoke about doing the fourth part of the fourth step inventory and then renting a room from someone that was not in her plan. And that was similar to my experience, not renting the room, but having done the fourth part of the fourth step, which was the sexual inventory. And when I did that, I realized I had been sexually abused as a child and then acted promiscuously as an adult. And I had to ask myself, how do I want to mend this behavior? Who do I want to be today? And so I'm wondering if she can talk about that experience of having done the fourth part of the four-step inventory and then mending that behavior in the ninth step. Thank you, Jenny. Sure. Thank you um, for the You know, when I did my fourth step, my sex inventory, you know, I got to, I got to see, you know, my behaviors in the, in the nine questions in my sex inventory, and, you know, I began to see the truth. And I think the, the biggest gift for me out of that sex inventory was I was able to create a sex ideal. And a sex ideal for me was um, everything that I did um, that I wouldn't do today, that, you know, how, how do I want to be you know, um, in the light of God's eyes. And so when I started going through this process, you know, I had lots of opportunities for relationships, but what God gave me was, um, you know, to, to go back to my sex ideal every time to see if I was meeting up, meeting up with it. Um, and, um, you know, I'd be more than happy to share, share my inventory with you off the line and, you know, that sex ideal, what that looked like. But, um, I'm so grateful for that because that's really where it changed for me. I, I had something to live up to with with God's help. And um, my experience before was I had nothing to live up to. So I would always turn myself into what that person would want me to be or what I thought they wanted me to be. Or, um, you know, I would always be somebody that I wasn't. And um, it never worked. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a surprise that um, my relationships were disaster after disaster. Um, so... Um, that's where it changed for me was my, my sex ideal. And with God's help, I was able to live up to that on a daily basis. Thank you, Jenny S., for that question. Thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our four panelists, Esther C., Renata G., Du L., and Terry H. Thank you. Your experience with ninth, the ninth step uh, process was profound deep and, and so rich, and thank you. It was very helpful to me and I'm sure to many, many others. And I'm going to close in the way we always close our meetings, 
and that's from page 164 in our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.